This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. murder we're back we're back it's are 20- you ready are you ready for 2020 are you ready for georgia Hardstar? are you ready for karen kilgariff pointing pointing S- pointing at each other you can't hear it but we're pointing at each other it's the loudest pointing <laughs> Oops. Did you hear that? no what was that <laughs> my arm just cracked oh good i reached my arm up to dramatically point oh no <laughs> you're do we have you're, boniva as a sponsor i might breaking. need it you're breaking i'm breaking all apart it's 2020 the year of breaking it's 2020 things are falling apart and so am i hey hey um welcome back karen and everyone thank you uh we're like a week away do you know this from it being four years since we started <sighs> shit really yeah so like we're almost in our fifth year essentially which is like, is that right? Like, no, we're in our fourth we're going year. into our fourth year. Going into the fourth year. Okay. Fifth is, that that's sounds crazy. crazy. That's like a relationship. That's what? <laughs> oh, no. That means I have to break up if we're in year five. I'm sorry. Like, those are my married, personal rules. We get married or break up. <laughs> we, either we double down and yeah. adopt seven kids. Yeah. Or I get out of town. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Let's get a big house. Okay. <laughs> we kind of have, in a way. <laughs> yeah, this is a huge house. And there's our child Steve, right over there, Stephen Ray Morris. Morris. Wait, He's wait. seven children in one. <laughs> He's all the children. Um. What? Okay, what do you have this week to um, talk about? Just a blank slate, right. ready to be filled with the 2020-ness of impending doom, but also in extreme potential. Who knows what this year will bring? <laughs> I feel like I haven't ever podcasted before right now it for feels some reason. Fresh and new and and clink, clanky. And clanky and wild. Yeah. It feels like uncut jungle. Right. Uh, well, let's talk about someone else's podcast then. Perfect. And how about um Jensen and Hole's Murder Squad? Love it. And how they have uh Is this gonna be a spoiler alert? Oh. Steven. No, I, th- I mean, it's in the description for the episode. A listener uploaded her DNA and uh, they used genealogical DNA to find the killer. Also, I believe Steven and I were talking about this earlier because it's, it's so exciting. You know, when they when Billy and Paul first thought of Murder Squad, like that whole idea of really having a podcast that actively asked for the Internet sleuths mm-hmm. to come together and really start working and like, you know, focus mm-hmm. thing the the fact that it's it's been a year, basically. That's a very quick turnaround yeah. for something to actually happen for them. I it's mean, incredible. obviously, you know, there's professionals involved, but it's just so exciting. It's 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 a really lovely thing because yeah. it's like something's actually happening. Well, and what was great about the end of the 
first season was they gave as many updates as they could on all the cases because that was like me even working on the show. I'm like wanting to hear updates yeah, and is- some stuff they can't obviously because right. they're, some of these cold cases are actually coming back and being active again. Amazing. So I, the fact that they, the last two episodes of the season, they actually updated a bunch of stuff and talked to Charles Manson's acid dealer, which was insane. <laughs> Uh, was really cool. Wow. Murder Squad, it gives and it gives. It gives you. What do you want out of a true crime podcast? They have it. They have it. We're just here fucking talking shit and cracking our knuckles. <laughs> That's right. A lot. That's what we do. Yeah. We're, we're, we're holding the couch down <laughs> while those guys go and get stuff done. And That's we right. really appreciate it. Yeah. So listen to Murder Squad on Monday. Yeah. Um, Jan- what would that be? January, uh, 7th, 11th, 13th. 13th. Perfect. Um, and another thing, about podcasting is this week. <laughs> oh, and then I'm going to say something about podcasting. Uh, okay, great. Our episode of In Bed with Nick and Megan oh, came right. out with Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. Right. It came out when we're, we literally recorded it in their bed with them. There's a lot of people in the bed. It's literally in bed. And for some reason, I was incredibly uncomfortable, not with them as people. I really right. adore them. And of course you, but <laughs> for some reason I couldn't take my foot off the ground. It was really <laughs> odd. Like it was very, I know the whole concept was we all get in bed and talk and, and you know, whatever. And I was just, there's something about it. I was like, mm, I, I, ha- I, I was participate. uncomfortable as well. But mine is that I have a really big problem with daytime clothes in or outside <laughs> clothes in a bed. And so I'm sitting there in my jeans just, and I know they're going to change the sheet before they get in but I just felt so disgusting like yeah. I was making their entire bedroom gross and I have the thing of um I don't I've lost the ability in my aging and um all of my body issues kind of lost the ability to be super loosey right. goosey to sit casually no there was an, and also you have to think about it in a, if it's your bed and you can shove the pillows around right. exactly how you want right. that's one thing but if you're the fourth person <laughs> in a bed that's really someone else's bed you can't put a pillow between your legs and be like now I'm comfortable yeah there was no I there was no way to be comfortable <laughs> but but I don't think you hear that in our voices no, I We're giving you behind the scenes right now (laughs) because it was very fun and i love i love that podcast and the idea of it those guys are the best they're the best um so listen to that and then that's all i got i think that's all i have too i Um, can't really think of we have merch and a fan cult go to myfavoritemurder.com Check it out. It looks like a lot of people got um, each other fan cult memberships for the holidays. Love that. Which is very sweet. Oh, yeah. And then we're going to have some big ideas for um, the stuff we post in that fan cult that we give you that's exclusive. We're really working on making those things exciting. Did you watch the video, the bloopers, end of the year no, bloopers I video? Can't watch I it. know. It was really funny. <laughs> There's one part where you look like you have a joint in your, like you're lighting a joint because it's that s- smudge stick. Oh, yeah. It looks like you're lighting it's a big fatty. <laughs> Perfect. And I didn't correct anyone who said that you're doing that. I was like, let him think that. That would be amazing. <laughs> in the middle of shooting a fan video, I'm like, sorry, can I just spark up this J really quickly? Just what if we did a, really um, a, a joint rolling t- tutorial video? I can't do it. So maybe someone could teach us how to roll a joint. I could do it. I just feel like it's not our area you That's know what I mean true. there That's is true. there are people who have been pot branded yeah. uh, performers and content producers <laughs> for years we can't just step in well Stephen did find my vape pen here <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and accused you, yeah. Leslie. And then it was mine. So we, I kind of are. Yeah. We're 
we're that. That was actually a hilarious day when we looked down at Stephen. Why weren't you here? You had you left already? Yeah. And Stephen looked down and goes, whose vape is that? And then I was like, oh, I don't know. Then he's like, it's not yours. I was like, no, it's not. And you thought I was being sarcastic. And I was like, it's actually mine. And I need it back because I need my CBD and just a touch of THC. Just a hint. Just a little. Oh, I saw cats. Oh, yeah. Speaking of all the someone, things we've just been talking about. Someone had to take it on for the team. Oh, my God. Well, the best part was I went with my friend Rob Trabowski. Who Are you saying speaking hilarious. of being really high? Yes, basically. And just like hallucinogenic kind of like surreal experiences. My friend Rob and I went, we went to the first showing at the Arclight. So it was like 1130 in the morning because I was like, this will be hilarious. We had the entire theater to ourselves so we could just scream and talk at the screen. It was so funny. The feeling of getting to talk out loud in a movie theater is so freeing. Yeah. It's really wonderful to just immediately get to loudly say the joke you're thinking. It's almost like being at home. It is. But not sitting in a disgusting seat. That's right. It's not disgusting, though. <laughs> I not. really believe in the arc. I guess the arc light's nice. <laughs> yeah, is. that's true. They basically take all that, like, all those experiences, not to do a commercial for them, but <laughs> they basically are like, what do you hate about those other yeah. movie theaters? Sticky floors, ch- chatty people. This no alcohol. Right. Great. <laughs> We've got this. <laughs> Hardly any salad. <laughs> Arclight's like, we're there for you. Oh, my God. Uh, I hate going to the movies. But if I do go, that place is where I go. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think movie stories are the only things I have because that's, <laughs> that's, that's all pretty much all I do. And s- movies, and then I'll go to CVS and buy 17 lipsticks, which I just showed you. I just you. saw that I have one of them on my hand that I might have to steal from you. I'm, how about this announcement? Uh, for people who get mad that we don't talk enough about true crime stuff. I'm going to move into a beige lipstick era <laughs> here in 2020. Look, we're basically, basically, we're pot and beauty bloggers. Yeah. The, or podcasters. And maybe movie podcasters. And, blo- and we blog about it, too. Only, yeah, we blog about it. And only I go to the movies. Right. But we're going, we're going to go into every other. How about we also do historical stuff? Great. We're just going to go into every podcast Genre. area. Uh, and I literally can't think of what. <laughs> I was going to try to say something about the, uh, what's that chart with all the letters on it? <laughs> the periodical, <laughs> periodical time tables. <laughs> it's not the periodical we're math, time tables. We're math fucking bloggers. We're newspapers. We're math. We do it all. Periodical times tables. Somehow... This is a successful podcast. <laughs> is it? Oh, yeah. I mean, iTunes keeps fucking telling us it is. All right. Uh, who's first this... This year. Who's first this year? KK? KK! KK Well, me and my beige lips are about to tell you. <laughs> I'm almost more interested in what you have to say because your lips are such a great color. Because they're muted, but they're, they're also bringing out the, my eyes. Yeah, the, the rosacea in your cheeks. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> you don't know rosacea. <laughs> I will, though. I will soon. Sure, well, we all will. Oh, the I do have a story. I knew it. I knew there was stuff yeah. in there. What in is this it? this big wide brain of yours empty rangy brain of mine <laughs> um went home for christmas obviously to petaluma um had a great time got to see the family nora is a teen it's very disturbing Ugh. i will tell you this now if you have nieces and nephews that you love and live vicariously through who are say five or six you better drink it in you better go to the park with them every time they ask you to go to the park you better do every single possible thing that you can do Shit. because it goes so fast and i sound like every aunt of mine you sound like every parent yeah it's so weird though but like 
looking at her, I'm like, well, that's, oh, the baby's gone. Where the hell did the baby go? It's such a bummer. So you have to wait until she gets teen pregnant. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, you're going to have to deal with Laura Kilgariff. Look, the phone's ringing already. How dare you? Um, No. So we went out to dinner on the last night in town and um, it was the restaurant we always go to that we love. And (laughs) we meet my dad in the back bar and then we all get sit sit at the table. We have a lovely fun dinner. Nora's got a friend there. We all have a great time. At the end, my dad asked for the check. The waiter says it's already been taken care of. I can't believe it. And we're like, and, and I tell you, if you ever try to want to impress Jim Kilgariff, yeah. pick up a check. He, it, it, he, it blows his mind. It's he can't it's believe classy it. as fuck. It is. It's very classy to not even to let it be a discussion to have it already yeah. be taken care of type yeah. of thing. So we're like, wait, what? How is this possible? And my sister <laughs> gives me this look like, uh, you, like it was my plant <laughs> where I'm like, I'm not, I didn't do anything. Oh, yeah. I was sitting here the whole time. So then I was like, who did, who did it? And he's like, uh, I think her name was Caitlin. Oh my God. So then he's just kind of like the waiter kind of didn't know what was going on. So then I'm like, let's just leave. <laughs> let's just go. And my dad's they like, God up. damn it. No, you have to go back into that bar and figure out who it is. And I was like, dad, how, how am I, what am I, should I just go back there and yell? Does anyone listen to my podcast? <laughs> is Caitlin here? So, and he's like, yes, you have to. So I get up to go back there and this woman stops me and I'm like, oh, are you Caitlin? And she goes, no, I'm Anna. And I just want to say, and then gives, gives me a very lovely compliment about representing people from Petaluma wow. and making her proud to be from Petaluma, wow. which was lovely. But then... No one's ever said that about me in Irvine because they're not. <laughs> they don't even want to admit that I'm from there. And neither do I. No one does. No one does. Um... But then a woman comes out and I'm like, are you Caitlin? And she goes, no, I'm Caitlin's mother. And she's like, I saw you in the bar. I texted her. You were here. She came down, paid your bill and left. Jesus. And I go, why wouldn't she say anything? And she goes, because she didn't want to interrupt you while you were eating. I feel like buying everyone's dinner was a free ticket to interrupt dinner. Hell yes. (laughs) But Caitlin was, did the classiest thing I've ever heard of in my life, which is like pay and go. Amazing. That's badass. That's so amazing. Um, So thank you, Caitlin. God damn it. I better be getting this. Na- I'm, I know I got the name right yeah. because I wrote it down. But, but then the mom goes, and I know you from when you were little <gasps> because I used to be friends with your cousin Lisa. Oh my God. And then it turns out it's like old time Petaluma yeah. hangout time. It was really so lovely and like it, it felt really good. It was very, um, you know, I felt very, I was, I felt like this year I was the butter queen. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the name the is. Petaluma Butter Queen. The Butter Nags Day Princess. That I was bet me. you are. I am you in my be. mind. And you're going to sit on a float <laughs> and you're going to wave at I'm the gonna people. I'm going to wave my ass off at those people. <laughs> slipping around. The float's just a big thing of butter. <laughs> I'm just slipping around on it. It's like, a, yeah, like just a big melted thing of butter. Yeah. Like a hot tub. But your skin is so soft oh after. My God, soft and salty. <laughs> That's what I had. Well, that, that was my recovered memory. Caitlin, congratulations <laughs> to you. Caitlin, you're the classiest mf of all time. That's right. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound... 
means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. This week, in this first show of 2020, I'm going to do the story of Robert Hansen, uh-huh. the butcher baker. Ew. Do you know this guy? No, I didn't know there were butcher bakers. Yes. Well, you do know this guy because you know the story of the guy that hunted women in Alaska? <gasps> yeah. It's him. Oh, I hate him. I hate him so much. That's why I haven't done the story. Yeah. We're actually, I'm going to find the name. Someone suggested it uh, like over the holidays. Great. I'm going to find the name. Okay. But, um, Okay, so no, let's do the story. I feel like I feel like it was hard for me to find a story for this week, and it's going to be hard for the for twenty twenty. So please suggest stories for us. Yes, we love suggestions. We love it. We really do. DM us, fucking add us. There's a fan cult forum where you could just suggest murders. We love it. And also, when people, um, I get this on Twitter every once in a while, people will be like, it has all the things. Yes. Ding, ding, and ding, you know, yes. hidden wall and a this and that. Yeah. There's, there's been some great ones. Yes. Lately, so. Give it to me on Instagram, not Karen on Twitter, please, because (laughs) I need them. Oh, well, I can give you this hint that I just found. Okay. Because in looking this up 
uh, Jay did research for me. And so it's, of course, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and All Things Interesting. Gotta yeah. love All love Things it. Interesting. That website's amazing. It is. Um, but I watched the an episode of, remember the old FBI Files? Yes! I forgot all about that well, one! Well, girl, there's a Wikipedia page with every single episode, Fuck. which has, it literally has the linked descriptions of the crimes. I'm writing it down. Boom. Um, also, and you know what sucks really bad is that I, I can't find the old Cold Case Files anywhere. There's like a new season of Cold Case Files where Danny Glover is the fucking narrator, which is really cool. That is very cool. And, but I can't find the old episodes. Oh. So I'm like, I need it. So yeah, I'm going to go to Was FBI that the files. one that was on HBO? Case no, it was on A&E, but it was, uh, what's his awesome name? Curtis. Bill Curtis was the narrator. Oh, oh, the old, okay. old one. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Go. No, no, no. That's okay. Um, I wonder if they took the old other ones off because they're going to try to moder- monetize them somehow. I'll fucking pay. I will pay. Okay. So this was from season two, episode six, which was called Hunting for Humans on the FBI files. Okay. Um, and of course it's got, Everybody's best friend, FBI profiler, and mind hunter John Douglas on it. I can't believe it. Featured prominently. Wow. Like yeah. we knew it. I watched that at like when I was really young. So yes. we knew all about that guy and shit before. I, I didn't know that I knew who he was. You I know? know. Yes. I feel like that's why so much of this true crime tsunami that's not ending seemingly anytime yeah. soon. <laughs> and then in two months, it just drops out from under us. <laughs> oh, Listen. But, um, but that's the thing is it's, it's we've we all have this in our subconscious it's almost like nostalgia yeah but it's it's like a nostalgia for this horrible thing right. that we've all been kind of keeping inside of like remember this story yeah. or remember that thing oh yeah i've been carrying that in my nightmares for fucking 15 yes. years i've been trying to prevent this happening right. i've been i've been thinking about what if this came you know whatever but then right. there's also these people that come along with it that are your john douglas's yeah. that go well we know this and here's the science and here's what we're trying to f- here's how we fight it we're trying to arm you with information yeah and then they start talking about dna like it's you know black magic and it's the greatest (laughs) oh okay anyway i'll stop interrupting um no 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 um that's the fun of like all that so the fbi files get in there yeah also they're on youtube but there's no name because i think that's how they oh i hope Mm, i don't bust anybody secretly put it up yeah so because i was watching it i'm like what is this this all seems so familiar and then by i basically went backwards and went oh i get it yeah anyway sneaky you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> this was suggested to me by someone on Twitter called VRB. Her at is Burgers Well Done. Awesome. And she actually sent the All Things Interesting article about it. And it was kind of like, have you ever... I love when people, just because we haven't done it, yeah. they, they assume we've never heard of it before. Where <laughs> yeah. it's like, no, no I've, I have heard of it. But then I was like, no, actually, that is a really good yeah. suggestion. So thank you, VRB. Burgers Well Done. Yeah. I agree. Burgers should be well done. No pink. <laughs> We begin on June 13th, 1983 in Anchorage, Alaska. And this also this story because they they start this FBI files talking about how because Alaska is so wild and open Mm -hmm. and isolated that a lot of people go there to get lost. And then a lot of people do get lost there or just leave there, like go there, try to, you know, escape or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then just leave. Mm -hmm. So missing missing persons um, is a weird thing up there because it's not like Los Angeles where where people see you every fucking day and suddenly they haven't seen you in a day or two. Right. Or 
that you, um, if you tried to go up there, make your way, stuff didn't work out, you just get on a plane and leave yeah. and come back right. to the lower 48 or right. whatever. Um, so that, it was interesting because I'd never really thought about that part before. That's true. And it made me think of in college when things were really shitting the bed or when I, w- I had failed <laughs> terribly in many ways, uh-huh. a, a thing that, was very popular in the 90s was this idea that you were gonna yeah <laughs> you're gonna go work on a fishing yeah. boat in alaska or even canning at a canning place you didn't even yes, have to go on the boat. cannery yes i remember like some fucking total burnouts that i knew were like yeah man you can make this amount of money doing yeah. that was like their fucking plan a trying to go to the cannery because yeah. if you can get there you can make 18 dollars an hour right nobody talking about the fact that you'd be elbows deep in raw fish right and like that it sucks and it's manual labor that like you better be making 18 dollars right and it sucks seasonal so it's like you can only make a certain amount you might die on a fishing boat in the meantime yeah how about just tighten up your game a little karen and go down to the goddamn (laughs) blockbuster (laughs) listen it's it was my thing of my solution and it's very alcoholic but it's always like way in the i'm gonna go way over there and start over and it's like i'll fix it there you can't start over when it's still you just hang out and try to start in the inside. Ooh, you can't start over when it's still you. You can't. I mean, like, you can, you know, you can, like, affect change slowly but surely, but you moving away and getting a weird job, yeah. just you're, that's just circumstances. That's just you having a weird job and moving, having moved away, you got to work on yourself if you want to su- succeed in that weird job. Or just, yeah, if you want to start making $18 an hour, do learn things that will get you the skills right. to get you a job that gets you that instead of like I'm gonna make it at the cannery <laughs> here I go on the fishing boat like when those fishing boat shows yeah. started like uh, Deadliest Catch yeah. or whatever those shows I, I would watch them going that could have been me <laughs> I was not qualified in any way to work on that fishing boat with my weird purple hair <sighs> okay so here we are 1983 <laughs> June 13th Anchorage Alaska okay. so a 17-year-old sex worker named Cindy Paulson is is working, and she is approached by a skinny, nervous-looking man with acne scars and a stutter. He offers her 200 bucks for oral sex. She looks at him, sizes him up. She doesn't think he looks... He seems nice. He doesn't seem very strong. So she agrees and gets into his car. Almost immediately, he pulls a gun on her and handcuffs her hands. He then drives her to his home on the east side of town, takes her inside, and brings her into his den where there's a chain hanging from the ceiling. Um, He chains her there. He tortures and rapes her repeatedly. Then he takes her down to the basement, chains her to a post by her neck takes a nap when he gets up he um puts the handcuffs back on her hands puts her into the back seat of his car and um drives her to the merrill field airport which is about a mile east of downtown anchorage um he tells her not to make any noise or try to get anyone's attention while they go there or he'll kill her and whoever it is she's trying to get the attention of. oh my god which is actually such a uh uh, effective threat yeah. because it's basically like you'll kill an innocent person right. if you try to save yourself totally Ugh. so so he tells her he's going to take her out to his cabin in the very remote Kinnick River area of the Matanuska Valley God, I wonder if I pronounced I was going to say right. nice pronunciation on those. <laughs> I was really worried about Kinnick, but then I didn't look <laughs> twice at Matanuska. But it came right out. Matanuska. That's what it feels like to me. Well, it's remote, so no one's going to be like, that's my hometown, and you said it wrong. Well, but you know what it's going to be? 
three very angry people right, 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 right. as opposed to 500 that kind of don't care. <laughs> um, but still, even though if that's you, I still want to hear from you. Um, <laughs> this Okay, so this valley is only accessible by boat uh, or a plane. Mm-mm. So rem- when we're talking remote, this is Alaska remote. Okay. Um, he also says that he's taken, quote, lots of girls there for, quote, fun. Uh, he tells her he has friends who are willing to lie for him and... Um, saying that he was somewhere else so that if she does go to the police, no one will believe her. Mm. Um, so they get to the airport and he gets out and starts to load up this airplane. So she is realizing like, this is, this is real. Yeah. And then she notices the, his, um, she's in the back seat, but the front seat, uh, driver's side door is unlocked. Oh my God. So she slips over the front seat, yes. still handcuffed. Holy shit. And slides out the driver's side <gasps> door. And you know, in the middle of all that, even after hours of being tortured and raped, she still has the fucking genius idea to leave her shoes in the back seat. Holy so there's evidence that she was in the car. Holy shit. Genius. Genius. Way to go. Cindy. 17. And 17 she's- years old, traumatized, Nailing it. So here goes Cindy, shoeless, half naked, handcuffed, running the fuck out of the airport and toward the busy street, which is uh, 6th Avenue, apparently. Um, So he she's she's on her way and the man notices that she's out. So he starts to run after her. But. Before he can catch up to her, um, she manages to flag down a truck driver named Robert Yount, who sees her naked, shoeless, half naked, I should say, shoeless, running in handcuffs, and he stops and picks her up. Hell yeah. Three cheers for Robert Yount. Yes. Let's all be like Robert Yount when we see scary things and get involved, because holy shit. So he saves her life. Yeah. Um, Ain't no Yount about it. (laughs) Like, no doubt about it? No. 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 I'm going to say no on that one in 2020. <laughs> no, no yount about it. That's what I meant. There it is. She asks him to drop her off at this motel where she also lives. He does and then immediately calls the police and tells them about yeah. the whole thing. When they get there, she's still handcuffed. She went and called her boyfriend. I'm sure she thought the police would never help her. Right. And, that, and it, how easy it would be to buy into the story this guy told her. Totally. So... The police arrive. She's still handcuffed, barefoot, and she's alone. So they uncuff her handcuffs and they listen as she tells this horrible story of hours of torture. Um, they <sighs> don't doubt her. They think she's very credible. She's giving tons of detail about the inside of his house, has all these hunting trophies and stuffed heads of animals all around. Oh my God. Um, and she describes the revolver he pulled on her as having a wooden handle. Um, they ask her if she'll come down to the station and give an actual um, statement. She agrees to do that. And then on the way, she insists that they stop at the <gasps> airport so that she can show them the airplane he was about to put her into, which is genius. It's yeah. like, and so brave. Yeah. Um. So when they do that, then the security guard at the airport gives them the license plate number of the car that was at that uh-huh. airport hangar spot Uh i don't know parking space sure um (laughs) so then uh they check and the name on the car registration matches the name on file for the owner of the airplane 40 year old robert hansen who is a local baker the owner of the local bakery where all the cops get their donuts no No joke they all know him and he has a wife and kids he's a family a local family man that everyone knows oh it's always those guys well it's the perfect cover right yeah so so this all, all automatically puts a little bit of dent of uh-huh. a dent in her story because yeah. they're like that guy yeah. is the baker. Yeah. Um 
So she picks his photo out of a lineup. Um, two hours later, the police bring him in for questioning. And he admits that he did pay Cindy for sex, but he denies ever harming her. He's very calm. He's not, doesn't seem, Ugh. you know, worried in any way. He explains his wife and kids are away on a trip to Europe and he was hanging out with his two friends. We'll call them both John. Uh-huh. Um, at the time that Cindy claims to have been raped and tortured by him, he explains that, that Cindy was trying to extort him for more money. And when he didn't give into that, she concocted the story mm-hmm. about him. So, uh, police go and question the two Johns and they both say, yes, he was with us. What the fuck? Uh, and so basically Cindy's story kind of falls apart because of course, um, this is now local small business owner versus young sex worker who has a verified alibi by two, probably, you know, verifiable people. Right. Exactly. Everybody, if they're all on the up and up, so then suddenly she did her word is no good. Right. Which is why you should never give someone an alibi if they ask you for it. That's right. What the fuck? Even if they were with you, deny it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is how we solve things. Okay, so, uh, so basically, it's what he threatened her with comes true, right? Which sucks. So then, when Cindy's asked to take a lie detector test, she declines because uh-huh. she's basically like, "You don't believe me anymore, right. anyway," and that now you're just going to prove I'm lying. And so she just like takes off. But Officer Greg Baker, who was the original um, officer who went to take her statement in her. Mm-hmm. Uh, hotel motel room he believes her he knows she's telling the truth and he believes he doesn't believe that robert hansen is innocent just because he owns a fucking bakery god bless him um he's a baker he doesn't trust bakers that's weird right he's a what he's a his last name is baker oh yes that's true (laughs) and he's like we're inherently evil people And because of this, I'm on your side. So basically, he's like, I know this is real and this is I'm not letting this go. Meanwhile, there's no hard evidence. There's really nothing the police can go with. So they close the case. Shit. Um, and, and they, of course, it's that thing where, well, she won't give a lie. She won't take a lie detector test. So I guess she's not pushing it. So we're going to let it go. Yeah. So. But Greg Baker keeps working on it anyway. The good Baker. Three cheers for Greg Baker. Um, Believe women like Greg Baker did. Mm -hmm. So what's more disturbing about this case being closed so quickly is that the police in Anchorage had suspected that there had been a serial killer operating in the area because in the past three years, they'd found three sets of human remains (gasps) in the remote wilderness outside of town. So... This is how it went. In July of 1980, construction workers are working. They're putting in a road in a very remote part of the Kinnick River region when they discover a very decomposed body buried in a shallow grave. Mm. Authorities publicly release a facial reconstruction to try and identify her, but no one comes forward to to claim that they knew her. This discovery kicks off an investigation that's led by Detective Glenn Floth of the Alaska State Troopers, and uh, they named the body Ekletna Annie. Later that same year, 1980, another body's found in a gravel pit in the same area where Ekletna Annie was found. She's identified as 24-year-old Joanna Messina. She had been working as a dancer at a strip club in Anchorage before she went missing. And they find a shell casing from a 223 caliber rifle near near the remains. Mm. And then two years later, on September 12th, 1982, hunters find the body of yet another 
dancer, 23-year-old Sherry Morrow. And this is um, the bodies in a shallow grave on the banks of the Kinnick River. So Jeez. it's all the same area. Yeah. There are three gunshot wounds from 223 caliber bullets and ace bandages among her remains, leading investigators to believe that she had been blindfolded at the time of her death. <sighs> So the team does digging and finds out Sherry worked at the Wild Cherry Bar in downtown Anchorage. And according to witnesses, she would, she was last seen on November 17th, 1981. Um, she had told her friends that a man had approached her and asked if he could pay her to take pictures of her because he was a photographer. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, she was supposed to meet him at a fast food restaurant. And that was the last, that day that she went to meet him, that was the last time she was ever seen. So state troopers now believe that there's a serial killer. Um, they just don't believe that it could be somebody as friendly and um, who makes such delicious cakes and pies as Robert. Jesus. So, which is what happens, right? It's like it, w- someone is familiar, someone's yeah. not familiar. Yeah. Someone does quote unquote tr- trustworthy things right. performatively in their life. Someone lives, uh, you know, a different style of life yeah. that is legally risky. But that shouldn't matter. I know. It- it shouldn't. shouldn't. Okay, so. Because also when you think about it, it's just that thing that drives me crazy about sociopaths. They know how to perfectly mask themselves. Totally. They're, they're not going to. They're, of course, they're going to be successful, low-key. Right, have family. Bakers. Have- they have all the cover that yeah. they need to then yeah. hate it. Okay. So Greg Baker um, is still working on the case, though, and he starts to delve into Robert Hansen's background. So he finds uh, Hansen was born in Esterville, Iowa in 1939. He was raised the son of a Danish immigrant baker. He was super shy. He had a stutter and terrible acne. Um, kids would make fun of him. Girls wanted nothing to do with him. And of course, this is the early time where he's developing his hatred of women mm-hmm. and re- and being rejected and, you know, all the pain of childhood that is not a justification for killing anybody at any time. Um, He's a loner. He spends his free time teaching himself how to hunt with guns and bows and arrows because that'll get the ladies loving you. (laughs) Cool, Jay. Um, In 1957, he enlists in the U.S. Army Reserve. He's discharged after a year. Then he um, works as an assistant drill instructor at the police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa. There he meets his first girlfriend and gets married in the summer of 1960. Um, But that December, he's arrested for burning down uh, the high school bus garage at where he's 21. Oh my God. But he burns down the bus garage of the high school he had gone to. So arson. We're starting with arson. It was arson, right? Which is like four red flags yeah. by itself. Yeah. And then also you're 21 and you're still that pissed about high school. Totally. He's sentenced to three years in prison. He appeals and gets his sentence shortened to 20 months uh, while he's there. And no one, of course, is no one knows that arson is a huge indicator right. bad things are happening. Right. In that, in that person. Um, he's it's not di- a, it's not a one and done crime. No, no. People don't uh, just, um, dabble in yeah. arson. No, no. He's diagnosed with bipolar disorder and as having periodic schizophrenic episodes. When he goes to jail, his wife at that time divorces him after less than a year of marriage. Um, he's released from, from prison. He gets married again in 1963. <laughs> I don't know. How do they do it? Um, he has a couple run-ins with the law for petty theft, and um, he 
does jail time, but there's no long-term sentences. And then in 1967, he and his new wife moved to Anchorage. Um, they settle down, have two kids, and he fo- follows in his father's footsteps and opens this bakery. But his he, again, starts to have run-ins with the law, and they are now escalate. In 1972, he's convicted of rape and assault. Mm. Um, serves six months in prison. Oh, God. Because I, it's 1972. I hate it. That's, I think that was before I was listening to The Man in the window which is uh-huh. an unbelievable golden state killer podcast yeah. by the la times and they're talking about this and i don't know if it was in california in sacramento or nationally but and when those rapes first began um rape was not a felony crime right i right. just can't get over it that's what uh she told us at the show at what um Oh, Carol Daly. Carol Daly told us that. That's our right. Live that's show. right. Yeah. It's just mind boggling. Yeah. though. It's just insane. Well, the fact that there's still a statute of limitations on sexual assault to me is like so archaic. And yeah. Yeah. It's just, I think we all assume that people give a shit if someone gets sexually assaulted and thinks people should be punished. Well, people do give a shit. I think that we all assume like these laws are just like the way it is right. as opposed to this is uh this is because there's people who w- are, would never be in danger of being raped right. making decisions right. about how these things how important or threatening these things actually are. Right. It's nuts. So, he serves his 6 months in prison. He gets a uh, uh, placed on a work release program and then um in 76, he pleads guilty to larceny for stealing a chainsaw from an Anchorage department store. Hmm. He's sentenced to five years for stealing a chainsaw. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh-huh. But then that gets reduced and he is released. You know, st- values, standards. You got to wonder what, like, the wife, what is going through her mind at that time where she's just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. So now... Uh, Officer Greg Baker is like, hey, can we, this is not a person that's this upstanding member mm-hmm. of our community. Can we actually, if we're going to be like, you know, getting rid of Cindy Paulson's word because yeah. she has a, a record, this guy has a has a record himself. Right. Okay, so then on um, September 2nd, 1983, basically right when he's trying to say, hey, let's, let's actually look at this guy, the body of a fourth woman, mm. 17-year-old dancer, uh, Paula Golding, is found. Mm. Um, she was reported missing five months earlier, and like the others, her remains are found in a shallow grave along the Kinnick River, and her autopsy reveals she had been shot with a 223 caliber bullet. Okay, so now the Anchorage authorities reach out to the FBI, and they're like, you have to help us with this, and we have to, we have to get on this. And this is when our friend Special Agent John Douglas joins the investigation. The mine hunter is here. Yeah. So John Douglas profiles the killer based on the crime evidence that they do have. Mm-hmm. So they he says this killer will be a business owner because of the distance and range of where these bodies are being found. This is a person that would be able to set his own schedule uh-huh. that isn't answering to a boss or weekly anything. Right. Um, he'd be an experienced hunter um, because he would be out in that Alaskan sure. wilderness, obviously, where there's bears. Um, and he would have low self-esteem brought on um, by a history of rejection from women um, and probably due to a speech defect of wow. some kind. Yeah. And, and he did all this not knowing the background of... Uh, right. Our guy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Obviously, 
all of those, that whole profile points directly to Robert Hansen. Yeah. So, so the, the, uh, investigators get a search warrant to search Hansen's bakery, the, his airplane and his home. And, but the DA tells the police, you have to execute this. Like you can't touch anything that's not on the search warrant. Right. You have to do this perfectly because we can't just keep going after this guy. Yeah. So this is basically your last chance. Yeah. So John Douglas is like, so make sure then that you put on there that you're looking for women's jewelry because he's going to have trophies <gasps> of these women. He's John Douglas is bringing all that serial killer information yeah. that no nobody in Anchorage knew and you know yeah. in law enforcement knew in like the early 80s. Right. Um, and he's like, you you're gonna want to be looking for trophies, you know, whatever. Um, so they, I think they said it was a 48 page search warrant that right. got served. That's what I find so fascinating at search warrants. You can't just go in and, and take whatever you want. No. You have to be, you can only take what you're looking for specifically written on the search warrant. Yeah. You have to explain to the judge what you're looking for and why that is the evidence. And, right. You know, whatever. Like right. it all has to be justified. So, so basically they show up, the, the bakery's a bust, the airplane's a bust. They don't find anything in either of those hmm. places. And while they're, so while they're searching his house, they bring him back into the station. Mm-hmm. But this time, John Douglas is like, this time, let's set up the interrogation room a little different. And they put up the pictures of all the women yeah. who have been found, all the victims. And then they put up the area map. They put up pictures of the um, shell casing. They basically just throw up all the hard evidence and make him sit in that room and look at everything that they have. Yeah. And the fact that they're, you know, basically on to him. Um, and then meanwhile, the... The cops at, that are searching his house, uh-huh. they go up into the attic and underneath the insulation, they find 223 caliber high powered rifle wow. hidden under there and uh, the revolver with the wooden handle that yeah. Cindy Paulson described when he attacked her. So they find those guns. Boom. They've got that. Then they have, there's a secret panel they find in that den. And behind that is a bunch of jewelry (gasps) and all like the victims, like there's one necklace, um, that one of the victims wore that she wore every single day. Um, and that, that along with a bunch of other personal effects were found behind like a, like a false panel in the wall. Hidden panels. Hidden panel. Then in his bedroom behind his, the headboard of his bed, they find an aviation map with a bunch of X's on it. Mm. And as they, it's of the Kinnick River area. Uh And they look and see three of the spots where they've Mm. already found remains are marked on this map. Mm. So they're like, well, here's some fucking hard evidence. They basically call the station and they're like, we've got everything we need. And then as they're standing there, the neighbor lady comes over to say, what is going on? And the cop explains like, this guy's getting investigated Mm -hmm. for murder. And he goes, and the neighbor lady says, this is straight out of the FBI files Uh episode. The neighbor lady's like, my husband, John gave him an alibi and it's totally (gasps) fake. And they're like, what? And she's like, they thought it was for something small and they, it, he, he, it's fake. And so both of the Johns go in and recant Fuck. their alibis. Johns. So all of it is taken away. Yeah. They have all the hard evidence they need. And basically they bring all that evidence into the room and Robert Hansen realizes there's no denying anymore. Yeah. Um, so he confesses to attacking Cindy Paulson as well as to 17 total murders what? and 30 rapes beginning as early as 1971. Holy shit. Police believe he has more victims than he's admitting to, but that's the most that they can get out of him. He 
explains to police that he would capture the women and force them to do what he wanted. And he said if the women complied and if he could, if they could convince him that they weren't going to go to the police after he would let them go. But if he thought they were trouble in any way, he would strip them and then he would bring them up to the Alaskan wilderness near this cabin that he owned uh. in the Kinnick River area and he would hunt them down Jesus. like prey and kill them. Oh, it's so awful. It's so awful. It's so awful. So on February 27th, 1984, he pleads guilty to four counts of first degree murder and to the rape and assault of Cindy Paulson. And even though he admitted to 13 additional murders, he's only formally charged for four of them, which is for Sherry Morrow, for Joanna Messina, for Paula Golding, and for Eklatna Annie. So for the bodies, they can... Exactly. Uh Yeah, for the bodies. But uh oh. But be not afraid because he is sentenced to 460 years plus life in prison. Yay. Yes. Finally, one of those. Yeah. In May of 1984, police take um, Robert Hansen on a plane ride so that he can point out the remaining grave sites. Wow. And he actually points out most of them. There's four he refuses to admit to or acknowledge for reasons the police can't figure out. Huh. Po- authorities are able to recover 11 bodies over the course of the next eight Holy months. Holy shit. 11. On August 21st, 2014, Robert Hansen dies in prison at the age of 75 um, due to undisclosed health problems. And so here's the list of the known or suspected victims. Lisa Futrell, 41, body found with his Hansen's help. Malai Larson, 28, her body was found. Sue Luna, 23, her body was found. Tammy Pedersen, 20, her body was found. Angela Federn, 24, also found. Teresa Watson, body found. Delyn Sugar Frey, her body was actually found with a, a pilot flying over the Kinnick River found, saw her remains wow. on a sandbar. And she was found on August 20th, 1985. Paula Golding was found. Andrea Altieri, her body was not found, but he admitted that he killed her. Sherry Morrow, 23, Eklaka Annie, her true identity has still not been identified to this day. Joanna Messina, her body was found. There was another set of remains that had, that they couldn't find the identity of. Uh, so they call her Horseshoe Harriet and they estimate her age to be about 18 years old. Mm. Um, Roxanne Eastland, who was 24, but her body was not found, but he admitted to killing her. Uh, Cecilia Beth Van Zanten, who was 17, he denied killing her, but the police suspect that he did because of uh, the X on the aviation map mm-hmm. and and that her body was found there. Megan Emmerich, 17 years old, um, same situation, and Mary Phil, 22, and he also denied killing. He denied killing Megan, and he denied killing Mary, um, but same. Uh, the the place where the um there was an x on the map right and those are the victims of the butcher baker robert hansen wow yeah it's so crazy how many other uh victims that survived there are that just had to to deal with the trauma because they didn't want to come forward the women he sexually assaulted right and he had threatened them in such a convincing and like yeah horrible way. It's the it's the further exploitation of people that are living in those marginal those marginal lifestyles right. where it's just like basically a person attacking you and then saying no one cares about you anyway. Yeah. And then of course they would why wouldn't they believe him? Right. 
Right. Wow, that is fucked up, but great but job. But hell yes, because because Cindy Paulson was so amazing, so present of mind. She helped all those women be identified. She helped like like all those families yeah. have closure. She has no idea that how much she did, and yeah. just that those brave moments of also just being like. You know, go to the airplane. Like, like I need to. I need you to see this now. I yeah. need you to go look at this airplane. Of course, the airplane would be gone if they went right. Like later on. Right. Like, do it now. Yeah. I'll go with you. It's so brave. So courageous. Yeah. Yeah. She she helped catch a serial killer. Yes, yeah, she did. It's amazing. Yeah. Um. Wow. Great job. She it, she's just like John Douglas in that way. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, she's John she, Douglas. She, she. Yeah. If it wasn't for her, they wouldn't have anything to talk about. That's right. Yeah. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Okay, this is one um, that is one of those stories that I've been, if you're like me and you're a late night fucking deep dive unsolved murder obsessive, this is one that you see on every message board on every list of like this crazy story that's unsolved. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, let's just cover it. And, uh, and I'll tell you what I know about it. This is the unsolved murder of Dorothy Jane Scott. And I got a lot of information from Reddit and Unsolved Mysteries Forum and Web Sleuths and True Crime Society. And then there's a person called Crime Blogger 1983.com uh, that I got info from. But there's also a True Crime Diary post about this mm -hmm. that was done in 2012 by uh, the first guest blogger, Paul Haynes. No way. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my God. Of course, we know him from Michelle McNamara's book, All Be Gone in the Dark. And, That's right. Yeah. And he was her researcher right. and helped wow. finish the book and everything. Amazing. So, um, yeah, it goes all the way back. So, uh, in 1980, 32-year-old Dorothy Jane Scott, she's this attractive, dark-eyed single mother of a four-year-old boy named Sean. She lives in her aunt's house in Stanton, California, which is a small city in Orange County between Anaheim and Garden Grove. I've never heard of that city. I honestly haven't really either. Really? Even though it's 20 minutes from my house. Stephen, have you heard of it? You're from Orange County. No, I was like, I grew up in Anaheim. I've right. no, never heard <laughs> never of that. Never heard of that city. So Stanton. It's tiny. I wonder, yeah, tiny and maybe like 
like unincorporated or something weird. Yeah. Like that. Okay. Especially in the eighties, there was so it was so much like brush and grassland and orange groves. Like there it wasn't as built up as it is now. Yeah. So Dorothy works as a secretary for a place called Swinger's Psych Shop in Anaheim. <laughs> and it's uh, a store her father used to own, and then there's a store next door, and they're kind of um like owned by the same people now, and they're like kind of, you know, uh, a duo of stores. It's called Custom John's Head Shop. Oh, okay. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, they service the small hippie culture in Orange County. They sell psychedelic stuff like like black light posters and lava lamps and that. And at the other store, they um, they sell, quote, water pipes. Sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> Rolling papers. Right. So, For so. when you want to roll up your tobacco. Exactly. Or smoke your tobacco out of big weird hookah. Right. And I like roach clips just for my hair. You know, it's fun to put them in your hair and then sometimes you can pick up small items on the floor with them. That's right. Um, so it was that kind of place. Uh, but Dorothy was actually a devout Christian and she wasn't part of the scene at all. She just worked in the back offices. So she didn't even have interaction with the customers or anything. Um, and she preferred staying home. She didn't go out a lot. She didn't party. She didn't do um, drugs. She didn't drink. One of her friends described her life as, quote, dull as a phone book, which is really mean, I think. <laughs> but also a really good. Yeah, uh, that's a really good. A metaphor. Yeah, I think she just means that it's like she wasn't a partier, you know, even though she worked in this environment. So her parents, uh, they lived near the stores in Anaheim. They babysat their grandson, Dorothy's son, while she worked. And Dorothy's father, Jacob, said that his daughter may have dated a little, but they had no steady boyfriend at the time. Her life revolved around her son and work where she was known as a dependable worker. And by all accounts, she was just kind of a lovely person. Yeah. So unfortunately, for months, though, Dorothy had been receiving anonymous phone calls um, at work from an unidentified male who sometimes it was like, I am in love with you and expressed all this love for her and sometimes would express like hatred and violence towards her and say things like, when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits so no one will ever find you. Her mom said that he said that to her one time. And um, she told her mom that she recognized the voice, but she just couldn't place it, which is so creepy and frustrating. That's... Crate that would drive me insane. Yeah, like you have met this person before and you can't like in my mind I'd be like, I'd recognize anyone's voice. But if you've met someone one time, let's say, and it was like a passerby or a friend of a friend. Or it's like it's a gas station you've been to twice. Right. Type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and according to Dorothy's mom, the stalker once called Dorothy at work and told her to go outside because he had left something for her. And on the hood of her car there's a single dead rose. So it's just like bad fucking news time and this creepy stalking. But sorry, you said this was when? 1982. Yeah. I'm sorry, 1980. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like. So it's kind of when people are like, peeping toms are hilarious. Right. Aren't you flattered that you have an admirer? Oh, it's nice. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So uh, he told her that he was following her and knew all her whereabouts and knew her work schedule. He totally like knew when to call when she was there. He described details of her activities, like daily activities to prove it. And because of the calls, Dorothy was so terrified that she started taking karate lessons and was considering buying a handgun. But on Wednesday, May 27th, 1980, Dorothy dropped her son off at her parents' house in the evening to go to a work meeting at 9 p.m. So um, she's at this work meeting. All the coworkers are there. And one of her coworkers named Conrad is looking ill. He looks weird. He's fidgeting. There's something not right about him. So she goes over to him and he uh, turns out he has this red mark on his arm. And she's like, we got to get you to the hospital. So she, along with another coworker named Pam, leaves the meeting they get 
in her car and they all take Conrad to the emergency room at the UC Irvine Medical Center. Mm. And there the doctors are like, bro, you've been bitten by a black widow. Oh, no. Yeah. It's just, okay. So he's treated and Pam and Dorothy stay in the emergency room, waiting room together, like just making sure he's okay. He's finally discharged around 11 o'clock. And so um, him and Pam, the, uh, the two co-workers, go get in line to get his prescription filled. And meanwhile, Dorothy's like, I'll go grab the car to the parking lot and bring it around <sighs> so that you don't have to you know, walk all the way to the car because you're sick still. Par- parking lots are for two people. Yeah, but parking lots are for lovers. Can't you understand like a hospital parking lot? You're like, there's no safer place in your mind. I could totally understand that. Oh, I mean, yes, because it's probably well lit. It's right there by the building. Right, it's there's official. people coming and going. It feels it's, official. Yes. There feels like it's official. People are nearby. Exactly. It's, it, it, but yeah. still. Yes, but totally still. So Pam and Conrad get the prescription. They go wait for the exit for by their exit for Dorothy to pull up. And um, she doesn't. So they're like, what's going on? They go out into the parking lot to see where the hell she is. And suddenly out of the darkness, they see Dorothy's car come speeding, like careening towards them. Mm-hmm. The, the, the flashlights. What are they called? Headlights. Yes, but the brights uh, are on, so they can't see who's in the car. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. they can't tell if there's more than one person in the car or whatever. So they start waving their arms to try to get Dorothy's attention to be like, what are you doing? You should stop. But the car speeds past them. They go to run after the car. Its headlights suddenly go out, and the car takes off uh, out of the parking lot and speeds away. Conrad and Pam think, like, maybe Dorothy had an emergency come up with her son. Like, maybe something crazy happened. So they wait two hours <sighs> in the waiting area to see if she's going to come back and get them oh sorry but there is something kind of ironic or they're like she sped away for the emergency away from the emergency room oh yeah but it's right you know, she has a kid i'm not i'm yeah. not saying it's illogical i'm just saying i didn't even think about that crazy but it's also like you question the two hours of why they just didn't why they didn't do anything before that I mean, I guess because it's so easy to fill in blanks. Yeah. It's so easy to go like, we know her, what she's like. She's got a son. She's so dependable. So she'll probably come back. And I think it's a human instinct. And maybe this is what happens in a lot of these cases we talk about. People don't want the bad thing to yeah. be real. And it is like you sit there going, she just went to get her son and she's going to be back really soon. And also, I don't think they knew about the crazy calls. I, it doesn't say whether or not they did, but I'm assuming they didn't because I feel like if they did know about it, they would have done Put- put two and two together. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they wait for two hours. She doesn't return. So they contact the police um, who aren't very concerned. They're like, she probably just went home or whatever. But her parents, of course, are understandably worried about it, especially they knew about Dorothy's recent stalking and harassment. Right. So worry turns to dread just a few hours later at about 4.30 in the morning when Dorothy's car, it's a white 1973 Toyota station wagon, is found burning in an alley about 10 miles from the hospital. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's no trace of Dorothy nor her supposed kidnapper. The police investigate the disappearance and they tell Jacob Scott, Dorothy's dad, not to share any information with the media just yet. They wanted to kind of keep it under wraps. But about a week after Dorothy's disappearance, her parents receive a phone call from an unidentified man who, when Dorothy's mom answers the phone, um, mom's name is Vera. The person says, are you related to Dorothy Scott? 
And when Vera replies that she was, the man replies, I've got her, and then hangs up. Oh, my God. So when Dorothy's father finally gets fed up with the investigation, not really going anywhere, and they're like losing hope, and there's no progress, he contacts the Santa Ana Register, and they ran a story about Dorothy's disappearance. And on the day that the story ran, June 12th, 1980, a call came in to the, um, the editor at the Santa Ana Register, and an unidentified man said, quote, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. And then the caller knew things that hadn't been in the story. Um, yeah. So um, he said that he knew Conrad had suffered from a spider bite and that hadn't been put in the story. And that's why he was at the hospital. And he also said that he knew that Dorothy had been wearing a red scarf that night. And the last part was significant. That part's the red scarf is significant because Dorothy had only changed into the red scarf when the trio had stopped by her parents' house on the way to the hospital. Oh. And she had seemed really insistent on changing from her black scarf into her red scarf. But no one knows why she did that. And But it just seemed important to her at the time. Mm. So neither of these details had been published in the article. And the caller also claimed that Dorothy had called him from the hospital that night. But Pam, who was there with her the entire time, was like, fuck no. I was with her the whole time. The only time um, we parted before she went to the parking lot was when she went to the bathroom. I would have seen her if she'd made a call. Yeah. So um, investigators believe that the anonymous caller is responsible for Dorothy's death. Wow. Yeah. And Andy's calling... He's calling in newspapers like like he wants the attention. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that creepy? Mm-hmm. Um, Dorothy's the son, her son, Sean, his father is checked out, of course. He had an airtight alibi. He's in fucking lives in Missouri. He wasn't he wasn't in California. Yeah. So they question everyone at the psych shop. They look at area sex offenders. They try to find any potential enemies of Dorothy, of course, even like questionable characters of life. They find nothing. And Dorothy's parents consulted psychics, of course, and even the police talk to psychics, but there's no leads at all. Mm. It's just this huge mystery. But those phone calls keep coming to uh, Dorothy's parents' house almost every Wednesday for four years. No, what? And they don't set up a... Yes. Okay. Well, the calls are really short. So usually they occurred when Vera was home alone. Like they specifically wanted her to answer. The caller would ask, is Dorothy there? Or tell her mother that he had killed her. Or he would say, I've got her. And of course the lines were tapped, but the calls were too short to be traced, unfortunately. <sighs> I feel like... I mean, I wonder what technology there is now. I'm sure it's a lot better, but... I bet it is. Well, I bet no one has. <laughs> you do know it's the year 2020, right? Can you edit that out, please? <laughs> no, you keep it in. <laughs> I just was going to say home, house, home lines. Do people have home lines anymore? I don't know, but, but I think, <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with you where it's hard to even fathom how little technology right. there was. And that would, those were the phones I grew up with where I was like, boop, boop, boop. Like yeah. I remember getting a push button phone and it being like, what's up the future? I feel like any killer or any like fucking crank calling crazy person knows to like, don't don't call for very long or they're going to trace it yes. or call from a um, payphone. You know, right. like they had to have known that. So I wonder if nowadays in the year 2020 in the, here in the year 2020, like, you know, yeah, it, it, it's better. Uh, I Yeah, that you could. I think that the um, they can trace things better because of all like satellite and yeah. stuff where they're just like, oh, here's this is exactly where the call. Right. Ping, here's the tower ping. Here's the cell phone. Here's where it was bought from. Yeah. Maybe. I'm embarrassed that I said that. <laughs> 
Look, I didn't mean to embarrass Listen. you here in 2020. <laughs> Maybe 2020 is my year of embarrassment. Feel it. I gotta just hope do not. it. All I do. Um, it's just frustrating too because it's like it feels like if they're making, if they're reaching out and being that direct, yeah. something should be able to be done. Right. Especially that often and that regularly every fucking Wednesday. Yeah. I, th- I think this is why uh, the unsolved cases make me insane yeah. because I start to feel like I have to, I have to figure out right. what is going on. I need it. I need to make up the solution right now. They make me insane because I feel like the answer is in the story and we yes. just haven't figured it out yet. And if we read it enough times or we go over enough of the little details, we'll find it. It's just right there. Yep. But it doesn't happen. And sometimes those details are what drive you crazy. Again, going back to the man in the window, going back to the right. Golden State Killer case where how many times did, you know, was it like, did he know something about construction right. because of the map exactly. and the this and the calves and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And all of it was all of it was red hair. Totally, totally. Uh, but I, I love them because I can't stop doing that, and it, it just kind of feeds this part of me that wants to figure, you know, solve this puzzle. Yes, for sure. Uh, okay, so um, the caller would never stay on it long enough. In April of 1984, the man called in the evening, and this time Dorothy's father Jacob answers the call, and the call stop. He doesn't say anything. He hangs up. The call stop. Wow, weird, right? Yes. But three and a half months after that last call and four years after her disappearance on August 6th, 1984, a construction worker, of course, who was laying pipe for phone lines, discovers skeletal remains in some brush off Santa Ana Canyon Road in Anaheim. I think Stephen's house was built on top of that. Oh, is that where I, li- I lived off Santa Ana really? Canyon Road? Oh, yes. Shit. That's I crazy. just got chills right now. <gasps> That's crazy. Do you know I, this story? No, I don't. And because... Where I grew up, like the actual neighborhood I grew up, was being built in like the late eighties yeah. or, or mid eighties or something. They have yeah. specific areas of where it is. You should look it up and see how far Ugh, it is. From I just your got house. chills yeah. right now. Wow, yeah, that's creepy. E. Okay, here's what's crazy: the remains that they found on on top were of the bones of a dog. Okay, but un- lightly covered with soil underneath them, due to erosion, they think were the human bones. <sighs> so th- there's a theory that. Some are like, this is a cult thing that they put a burn dog on, or like they put a, the dog of a body on top of a human. But most people, or not most people, but people also say that a really good way to hide the scent of decomposition mm. is to put an animal on top. It throws the scent off for any dogs that are looking for it, or, you know, any search and rescue. Wait, any cadaver dogs would just smell the dead dog. Right. And then they would just find that dog stop. Right. Jesus, that's, that's sinister. That kind of thought process Isn't being it? put into that. Totally. Is crazy. Totally. But can we just go back for yeah. one second? What's the cult thing? Well, that like, a, you know, a sacrificed animal was put on oh, top oh, of a dead body. Got you. You know what I okay. mean? Yes, totally. Okay. The bones are partially charred. And because of that, authorities believe that um, they had been there for two years. And that's because a brush fire had swept across the site in 1982. So they think that the body was put there and then either the brush fire happened on its own or maybe someone lit it to conceal oh, the bodies. Because I was going to say, what about the burning car? Then right. That, that wouldn't actually make sense because... Well, this person clearly liked fire, I guess, yeah, and like to burn their evidence. Fire. Yeah, that's right. It, it doesn't say anywhere about whether or not the fire happened on its own or the fire... Uh, 
was set intentionally. Right. Um, but there had been a fire in 1982. Okay. So along with the bones, there's a turquoise ring and a watch. And the watch had stopped at 1230 a.m. May 29th, 1980, about an hour after Pam and Conrad last saw Dorothy's car in the ER parking lot. Wow. And um, Vera, her mother, identified the turquoise ring as belonging to her daughter. A week later, the remains are positively identified by dental records as those of Dorothy Scott. Oh. I know. But and, at least at least there's a final answer to yeah, that. Yeah. And they had said in some newspaper clippings, like, we just want to find her. They they um, they had a, like, $2,500 reward for the whereabouts of her body. Like, they didn't think she was alive anymore. Right. And they just wanted her body. Um, after the announcement ran in the newspaper, the Scott family received two more calls from the same person asking, is Dorothy home? And then the call stopped. So this person, crimeblogger1983.com, who um, I got a lot of this info from, actually got in contact with Sean Scott, Dorothy's son, now adult son, oh, which was crazy. And he he gave this crime blogger, 1983, some photos of his mother to, to post because there was only like newspaper clippings. Um, and he told this crime blogger that there's actually a suspect in Dorothy's case that Sean knew of, that some of Sean's mother's friends had told her about. Oh, So according to Sean, the suspect's name was Mike Butler. And apparently he was a person who lived in the Santiago Mountains, which is like a close by mountain range, and was involved in cult activity, allegedly. So perhaps that's the dog connection, uh-huh. which I think is flimsy. Yeah. Apparently, um, he sometimes came into the head shop And he was obsessed with Dorothy. And as it turns out, his sister worked with Dorothy at Swinger's Psych Shop. So maybe that's how he knew her schedule and Mm. where she was and how she was always at work. Maybe his sister gave her, like, unknowingly gave him and her brother information about her life. And it's just like, that's such a, that's such a close fucking, you know. I mean, it makes sense that he's a suspect. Right. But, but that's it. Is that he was just the the son was just telling him that there was someone they were looking at? Yeah. So Dorothy's dad used to own the head shop, right? And so um, they had he had met this brother before, which maybe is why the caller would hang up if Jacob answered because maybe he would have recognized his his voice. Okay. And she was like, I know the voice from somewhere, but I can't place it. Oh, maybe it's his fucking brother, right? right? Okay. Um, and maybe not. And maybe as not allegedly. I'm saying what Sean has told Crime Blogger 1983. Yeah. I'm not saying just in fairness. Yes. In all fairness. In all fairness. And also not. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, law enforcement was aware of Butler at the time, but they never had enough evidence to consider him a suspect or person of interest. He died in 2014. Okay. Um, so we, we don't know. We don't know and yeah. can't know. Nope. Her older brother, Jim, told mourners at Dorothy's memorial, after they found the body, that even though she had no material wealth, she was very rich. He said, quote, we all have suffered a great loss, but I'm sure Dorothy would want this to be a time of giving. He said to me, she exemplified the word give. She'd just give and give and give no matter what it cost her. So both Dorothy Scott's parents, Vera and Jacob, passed away, never knowing who killed their daughter. And that is the mysterious murder of Dorothy Jane Scott. Wow. And it's like, it's kind of a hometown of yours. Yeah. 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 That I didn't even realize. Yeah. Oh, so creepy. That's so frustrating. It's just one of those whenever you see like Ranker doing like the most like mysterious disappearances of all time or mysterious 
cases that's always on there and i'm just fascinated by it it's so sad and there's all those like so many close calls and that that person whoever did it took so many risks yeah i mean yeah to kidnap her in the hospital parking lot is insanity in her own car totally and like drove by people who knew her and like it just seems it's so crazy i just keep thinking of how would you um like at that time, I'm sure she just felt really helpless. And that's, it's such a strange situation to be in. It's just strange. Right. And so you'd kind of just treat it as just a weird thing. Yeah. But like, how would you try to catch that person? Like you'd have to follow her. Yeah. But far enough away so that you could also be following someone who would potentially also be following her. Like I'm just trying, yeah. immediately was going into like, how would you do that? How would you find that person? Right. Like just physically walking around. How would you? Well, like, you want to, you want to hope that like, you know, yeah that like nowadays the interview they would have interviewed people a little bit harder they would have like put connections together maybe and figured that person out yeah yeah yeah, but you never know and there's if there's no other evidence aside from you know phone calls calls that you can't trace then there's nothing you can really do about it it's just so creepy a lot of people think that um that the co-workers you know conrad and pam are involved but i just I, i i'm sure they were checked out more than anyone yeah Right, for sure. You gotta hope. Well, and also you'd have to think what would the what would their motive be? Right. That just that's just weird. Unless you're gonna start going, everything's a, a cult in the mountains. Right. And probably there were witnesses at the hospital who saw them waiting and who they talked to and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't. I'm. I don't know. That doesn't feel right to me. But who knows? Yeah. I mean, like that's again, that's the thing of yeah. Who knows? I bet the answer's in there somewhere. Yeah. Creepy. <sighs> Some weirdo at that head shop. Goddamn Charles I Manson. I also can't hear a story about a head shop and not think that it's happening in the 60s instead of 1980. Oh, yeah. I remember it's... going to the um, swap meet in the 80s at uh, in Orange County and there'd be those like little head shop booths and stuff. Sure. You buy beaties. Remember those little cigarettes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they would sell them to us. So we'd smoke. We'd walk around smoking those. Well, how about the incense that were like just little cones yeah. that you just light the top of the oh, cone? I loved those. <laughs> <laughs> My next door, our next door neighbor in the 70s had a blacklight poster that was just this weird little furry guy that was just double birding. <laughs> The person looking at the poster. Double remember, middle fingers. Yep. So it's like, fuck you. I, I just remember walking to a room and looking at it and just being like, sorry, what's this for? <laughs> like, how, that's not a fun poster. That's not like a horse running on the beach or like the outsiders. Like, you're just <laughs> flipping me off. Fuck you. It's so rebellious. No, fuck you, little hairy character that is not of a company. I love or, little Karen being like, this has no meaning. This, this is an art. You're just being crass. Cut to me 40 years later, just saying, the F word as many times as I can <laughs> on my podcast. My best friend had a poster of a hot dog in her bedroom and it was my absolute favorite thing in the entire world. Just a plain hot dog or a cartoon hot dog nope. with a face? It was a photo, a giant poster with a photo of someone <laughs> holding a hot dog and I just fucking coveted it. Did I you steal it. it from like the concession stand Pro- at the roller rink? Probably. That's <laughs> awesome. Was great. It was great. <laughs> just was it like <laughs> I have so many questions. <laughs> Can you get a hold of this person to ask some I questions? I probably could. Just ask, where did you buy it or did you steal it Hey, can from we somewhere? talk about... Because we, it, it was like a topic of discussion all the time between these two little five-year-olds. We just loved it. Yeah. Oh, so she I was should... five and had a poster of a hot dog? Uh-huh. We were, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's not good. Because also, that I wonder if she had a relative that had a really good sense of humor. Yeah. Because if you're five... It doesn't make any sense. You're just given things. You yeah. don't, like, go shop for shit. Right. At least you did it back then. No. I don't think. It was more of like, oh, someone's going to give me a thing and I'll like that <laughs> I for wanna a while. I want to put stuff on my wall. Oh, we have this poster of a hot dog that Uncle Dan gave you. Hey, Uncle Dan, your, um, your, your food photographer <laughs> uncle that has a lot of hopes and dreams. Yeah. He's... <laughs> He's got some stuff you can throw up if you want to. I just like hot dogs as a concept, too. Sure. That's just fun. Sure. Visually great. Tastes great. Takes care of... Absolutely. Remember that hot dog we had at the football game in London? The football match? Yeah. The, the bun went all the way around? Yeah. And we just stood there eating it. It was super and fast. And we didn't have anything on it. No. Because there was nothing left or there was no room for people to move around. So we just ate the hot dog and it was great. Yeah. It was really... <laughs> It was really self-contained, delicious. We could have a whole podcast about hot dogs we've eaten. <laughs> Let's so do true. it. Let's do it. I feel like the last time I ate a hot dog was on the beach in um, Hawaii. Nice. And there's a specific kind of hot dog that my friend Janet Ramazzi, what's up? She's a listener. Janet. <laughs> she buys these hot dogs that her husband used to love that are bright red. Oh. And, and you, when you look at them, you're like, I can't eat that. Yeah. I know that's so bad for a me. Red hot. Then you eat it and it's the most delicious hot dog you've ever had. Girl, the next time we're in Detroit, we got to get a county dog. Vince, oh, yeah. Vince opened had. my eyes to them and I'm like obsessed. It's just fucking this great chili and then mustard and onions on it. And it's fucking legit. Wait, oh, so you have a hot dog, you put chili on it and you also put mustard on uh-huh. it? Hell yeah. It's so good. That's it. And it's a fucking mess and it's the best. I love it. I, I feel like I don't realize how much I like hot dogs. Yeah. I don't let myself go. Let's go do there. a hot dog of the of the episode steven wants to say something Sounds i have good. a hot dog toaster should i bring it into the studio oh, you can make a whole you, make, <laughs> you, can, you, you can put the, the buns dog? and the hot dogs yes. in i will bring it into the studio we yes. will make hot dogs there's only one vegan here that's fine right <laughs> oh my god danielle sorry we're having a hot dog toaster now <laughs> danielle you don't you don't run our hot dog lives steven yes, yes. You bring that fucking thing in next we're gonna end the next episode eating hot dogs that's right Oh, my God. That's hilarious. That could be our fucking hooray, but I have a real one. <laughs> okay, good. Do you have a real one? I can have one, yes. It could be, it could be hot dog. <laughs> it's hot dog posters. <laughs> I pretend like I've liked them all along. No, no. I already liked them. I liked them before your five-year-old friend did. Cartoon hot dogs are cool, too. Socks with, like, cartoon hot dogs all over them. What is better than that? There's There was a... I had a saved picture of a cartoon hot dog that was doing something for a long time on my phone, but now I can't remember what was it was. Was he putting... Doing. You know the one hot dog um, statue that's putting mustard and ketchup on itself? And it's, like, really troubling. <laughs> no, that's not good. It's, like, outside of, like, a Venice Beach hot dog place, and he's just like... Eh. <laughs> Here we go! Can you find that? We're putting it on the Instagram oh, this week. No. We have to find it. No, that's not good. It's troubling. Okay. That's like when it's a butcher shop and it's a picture of a smiling pig. Yeah. And you're, you're like, like, no, you wouldn't be. Uh-uh. <laughs> this is a lie. Everyone's oh, lying. Vegans hate <laughs> us. Um, okay. So I am, what's today? The 7th? I am now seven days into dry January. Oh, how's it going? Successfully. I, I should say I'm successfully you're, seven you're, days. You're doing it. I'm doing it. And nice. I'm shocked. And I'm shocked at how kind of easy it's been mm-hmm. and how many revelations I'm having and how much I've been and I'm enjoying it. Oh, good. I'm so surprised by that. Part. Yeah. So and that, part of that is because I um, I posted about it on like New Year's Day about dry January and a bunch of Instagram comments came up suggesting this person named Annie Grace, who's like an author and podcaster who who talks about sobriety and how to do it. And, you know, she does it in a different way. And so I downloaded her book called This Naked Mind. That's her like um, brand, This Naked Mind. Uh-huh. And it, it's been 
eye-opening. Really? And I'm almost like, I might keep fucking doing this. Interesting. It's been really, really eye-opening. And I and it's made this easy and fun. So oh, good. I'm like really happy and weirdly proud of myself, but also realizing how much of an issue I've had the past 10 years. Yes. And it's been uh, emotional. Well, congratulations. Thank you. That's very good. Yeah, this is, I mean, one or two days every once in a while is the most I've gone between drinks yeah. in the past like long time. Yeah. I I hear that. Well, because it's easy. Yeah. It's casual. Yeah. It's, it's automatic. Yes. It's an automatic thing for me. I mean, it's just a very effective tool yeah. for de-stressing, for kind of escaping, right. for all this stuff. Um, so it's no wonder we rely on it. In a, of course. Because, but then it, like, in this sh- goddamn Danny. Right. <laughs> but then the way she's explaining it is like, it actually doesn't work. And here's why. Yeah. And here's why it makes it worse. And here's why it's been interesting. Yes. And it's been nice waking up in the morning. And I'm, I still have to remind myself, like, you're not hungover. You can get up. It's, it's Isn't so that, nice. That difference is kind of yeah. nice. And that 3 a.m. wake up of like, not feeling shame and anger at myself yeah. for what I did the night before and prompt guaranteeing I won't do it the next night and doing it again. And it's a depressant. Yeah. It's a depressant. Yeah. It works in the moment, but the, the long term effect, which is why so many things like that suck, whatever the substance is mm-hmm. that, that, and, and everyone's addicted to something yep. in some way. Yeah. But those things that erode, that actually erode, you're going to them for good times and they actually erode your overall totally. good time. Man, that sucks. Totally. Cause, cause you need something. Yeah. You know, you I'm do. actually looking forward to seeing like what changes this month. So, That's and you great. don't have to be doing dry January or be sober or any of that shit to, to listen to this book. Yeah. This, this naked mind. It's really helpful. I, I love it. It's also, it's nice to have some kind of guidepost yes. when you're doing a new thing. Yeah. This is very weird for me and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, great. Yeah. That's good. That's the perfect attitude. It's like you're being an adventurer, yeah. adventurer about yeah. it as opposed to like, oh, I have to do this thing now. Right. That's good. Yeah. My thing. <laughs> what? No, I can't. Um... Hot dogs. <laughs> I swear to God, if it's hot dogs, I will fucking high five you over this table. I've, I've never. Uh, <laughs> my thing is hot dog day from grammar school was my, fr- my favorite. <laughs> Did you have a hot dog day at your school? Not like specifically, but we'd have hot dogs on the menu. Oh, right. Yeah. We, I went to a school that didn't have a cafeteria. I mean, every day is hot dog day if you try hard enough. Boom. <laughs> you go to the right school. Right. Okay, Richie Rich. I didn't realize. Um, oh, how about your fucking array that says hot dogs that have cheese in the middle? <laughs> Those yes. are so gross. They're so good. They're gross. They're the best. Um, this is where the hot dog debate begins in earnest. <laughs> I ha- Here's my fucking hooray okay. that, that I generally said that my, um, uh, Christmas trip was great, which it was, but I will say this specifically, and I know I talk about this shit so much, but it's, it's just how it is. We had a Christmas Eve out at the beach, which was great with my cousin Stevie and his family and which is basically our family. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was so fun and hilarious and they made this great dinner and it was just kind of in this beautiful area and it, and my aunt Jean was there who is used to be my mom's best friend. Mm-hmm. And it was very like, there was a time that, that honestly, and my sister and I even got to talk about it, which we normally don't get into deep shit. We just try not yeah, to. We've easier. had so much deep shit <laughs> that we're sick of it. Right. But we had this great conversation because it was like, when you lose a loved one and in a bad way, it feels like life is never going to go back to normal, which it doesn't because that's because life never goes back to anything. Right. You're a changed person. Right. 
And, but, but actually all of life is progress and change. And so there's no, no one gets to experience a thing and then go back to a different time that it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so don't hold that against yourself. And, and, but I think we just assumed it would always be this lower level, depressive kind of loss state. Mm -hmm. And this year, especially it was such a lovely, fun, light Christmas Mm. Uh, Christmas Eve was that one, but the whole holiday was great that way. And we just, we just kept talking about how, how, how nice it is now. And that really is this new, it just feels like a new time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it, like a new time that that feeling, we were just so convinced it would never happen. Yeah. I feel like I've even said this exact thing before, but to, it's so, I think it's important to me to mark time to myself that way. Yeah. Because I can feel, it's almost like coming up out of the grief well or whatever. Yeah. I can feel it kind of like, oh yeah, that was so much better than it used to be. That yeah. was so much better than it used to be. Acknowledge the steps that you're taking. Yeah. And how, how nice, um, it's like life is really nice. Even when things are shitty, you can still, and it's so cliche that there's no point in saying it, except that it's fucking true. You can find these things if you somehow develop the eye to be able to find them where it's like, it's the people that are gone will never come back, but there is a present moment that you can work on actively. So like my sister, like I tweeted this thing, my sister bought everybody chicken leg socks. Oh yeah. And I have a pair for you. <laughs> um, there, and it's the dumbest thing. And she found online. She's like, I saw it. I just thought it was funny. It was as if it was like the best thing that's ever happened in our family. <laughs> when Laura busted out these chicken leg socks, it was fucking hilarious. Everyone had them on. Everyone was posing with them on. Yeah. No one could stop laughing for like 15 minutes it was just so fun and it was i just remember sitting there and going this is like being this now because yeah. these are these moments that you thought were just gone forever right. which nothing works that way yeah. and you can find these spots of lovely joy in in things and then grow them mm. and basically kind of make them start taking over i love that yeah. That's beautiful. How's that? that How's that? Beautiful. <laughs> and hot dogs. And hot dog pictures. <laughs> Cartoon hot dogs condimenting themselves. Sorry, I think the picture I was thinking of was it was actually a banana that was hugging a banana. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the same thing. That's a vegan's hot dog. I'm just talking about all phallic foods and the cartoons I've seen in them in the past. We love it all. We love it. Oh, and we love you guys. Thank you for listening for uh, your 2020. Coming up on four years. Four years. Four years. We appreciate you. We We like you. We like you so much. You're our friends. Thanks for being quiet during all of our conversations. That's right. We we know you're listening. We appreciate you're not interrupting. That's right. Uh, And stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye, 2020. Elvis, do you want a cookie?